Well, good morning, church. How are we doing this morning? You guys good? Hey, I am Pastor Jason. I am excited and honored to get to be sharing the word with you guys today. Um, hey, I just want to echo what Pastor Bobby was saying on the video about presbytery. Um, my wife, Reagan, and I had the honor and the privilege to get to be candidates for presbytery back in, I believe it was 2019, uh, pre-COVID, feels like a lifetime ago, but it was uh, just an incredible experience for us. Um, and I would just say this, if you are maybe unsure or, or skeptical or just curious about the gifts of the Spirit, specifically the gift of prophecy, that is all the more reason to come and check out Presbytery. That is not a reason to, to skip out or to stay home. Come and check it out. Um, because we are blessed to be in a church where we have a pastor who teaches on these things. Um, and teaching is great. It's great to, to hear the word and, and, to, and to be taught on those things. But it's a whole other thing to experience it firsthand. So come to Presbytery. If you are skeptical or curious at all, I can't encourage you enough. Come and check it out. Because um, it was super impactful for us. I'll, I'll be honest, even in that moment back in 2019, I still had questions. But once you experience it for yourself, it, it does so much good. Um, and it is an incredible thing to get to see those gifts practiced and demonstrated in a healthy way. So come and check that out. All right. So it is July 4th weekend. Uh, you guys are at church today, which means that God loves you more um, you could have been anywhere else, it was a great excuse to, to miss church today, but you're here, and uh, I'm excited for what God is going to say to us today. So uh, let's dive in this morning, shall we? So first, just want to ask, where are, my, where are my church people at, my people that have grown up in the church? Show of hands, if you've been in church your whole life, if you came up in a youth group, keep your hand up, and if you went to summer camp or youth camp every year. Show me your hand. So if you went to youth camp as a, as a teenager, chances are you have a youth camp story. And I don't necessarily mean a super spiritual story. Um, I mean something maybe a little bit different because as we know, when you get hundreds of 6th through 12th graders together in one place, things happen, right? Um, things don't always go According to plan, there are maybe pranks or pranks gone wrong or you have some probably story. Youth camp is good for creating some, some core memories, am I right? So I have a youth camp story that I'm going to share with you this morning. This was the summer before my senior year of high school. Um, I was 17 years old and uh, we went to this camp, my church did. It was a big camp, churches from all over. Uh, we're at this camp. It was right outside of Memphis, Tennessee. We get to this camp, and it's hosted at a church. And uh, the gym of this church was kind of like the, the hangout spot or the common space, like in between services or small groups or whatever. This is where everybody would hang out. And in that gym, every single student that was at this camp had an envelope taped to the wall that had their name on it. It was... Um, they were grouped by church, so our whole youth group had all of our names together and, and so on and so forth. The purpose of these envelopes was if you wanted to write someone an encouraging note that week during camp, you would write a note and go and drop it in their envelope, right? 
They called them, I believe they called them encouragrams. Uh, this was right after Instagram had come out. Um, so that adding gram to the end of everything was the cool thing. So encouragrams, um, again, to just encourage someone, they really stressed, I mean, really made a point to say, hey, guys, this is not a chance, an opportunity to flirt with people. That is not what this is for. Please do not do that. So a 17-year-old Jason said, bet. And um, I had, the first day we were there, I met this cute little girl and uh, decided, yeah, I'm, I'm going to write her an encouragement. So um, the first, you know, the bulk of, of the message, the note that I wrote was actually encouraging. It was, hey, great meeting you. Really hope you have an awesome week. Hope the Lord does an incredible thing in your life this week you know, all that good stuff. But then at the very end, I threw in just something a little extra. I said, oh, hey, and by the way, this morning, I was reading through the book of Numbers and realized I didn't have yours. <laughs> so, fellas, if y'all don't write anything else down today, this is the time. Um, so, I mean, pretty smooth. Pretty bold. I was feeling pretty good about myself. So I went to where her church had all of their envelopes on that section of the wall. Um, and as I'm reading through the names, I realize I don't know her last name. Um, I knew her first name. I did not know her last name. And thank God there was only one envelope with her first name. So dodged a bullet there. Um, so I drop it in there, feeling pretty good, just waiting on, you know, a response, probably a, an encouragement written back to me, checking my envelope, not getting anything. Um, again, I was, I was 17. Uh, the next day, this little, probably 11 or 12-year-old girl comes up to me and says, um, I don't know if you meant to give this to me or... I think maybe this was a mistake, and I said, yes. <laughs> it most certainly was a mistake. I'm not trying to get sent home from this camp. What had happened was the girl that was supposed to receive this encouragement had, for some reason, moved her envelope to a different youth group to be next to a friend of hers who was in a different youth group. So it was really her fault. And... Um, so later that night, the, the people leading the camp thought that it would, you know, be fun to tell this story in front of the entire camp. I got to come up on stage and receive a trophy for this, which was a toilet seat that they put around my neck that had the words Royal Flush written on it. This was the Royal Flush Award. Harsh, but I, I earned it. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was, that's probably my, my best uh, youth camp story, but I love, I loved going to youth camp as a kid, um, and I'm sure most of you did as well, because there was just something about youth camp, there was, you know, it just got you on fire for the Lord, like, like no other experience, right, um, and if you've been around church long enough, you've probably heard the, the phrase tossed around, a, a spiritual high, right, and you know, that's what youth camp did. It gave us this spiritual high. You come back from camp and you're so excited to serve the Lord. And this year is going to be different. 
And then a couple weeks go by, school starts, and, you know, before you know it, you're right back to, to where you were before. And, and even now as adults, we still have those same experiences, right? We can go to conferences or retreats or, or whatever, even just maybe an incredibly uh, and especially impactful service on a Sunday can give you that, that spiritual high, can really set you on fire for the Lord. But then, you know, time goes on and we start to level back off. And I mean, wouldn't it be awesome if there was just a way to keep that fire going? And so I actually have reason to believe that we can do that. So if you have your Bibles with, it, with you this morning, hopefully you do, go ahead and turn to Leviticus chapter 6. Yes, I said Leviticus. If you're wondering why I don't preach very often, it's probably because I preach from Leviticus. So Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 6, I'm going to be starting in verse 8. And it said, the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, command Aaron and his sons, saying, this is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth, on the altar, all night until the morning, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and put his linen undergarment on his body, and he shall take up the ashes to which the fire has reduced the burnt offering on the altar and put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments and put on the other garments and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning. He shall arrange the burnt offering on it and shall burn it on the fat of the peace offerings. Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. Let's pray. Lord, we love you this morning. God, I just thank you just for an opportunity, Lord, to come into your house, God, to worship you with your people. Lord, I thank you, God, that you want to speak to us today. Lord, so I pray just for uh, spiritually receptive hearts today, God, for open minds, open hearts, Lord. Pray that we would be fertile ground for this word to go forth and to penetrate, God, to take root. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this word, and it's in your holy, holy name we pray. Amen. So I'm just going to go ahead and give you the main point of this message. The heart of this message, spoiler alert, is that it is God's job to set the fire, but it's our job to fuel the fire. It's God's job to set the fire, it's our job to fuel it. So looking back at our scripture here, when I read this scripture, I have two questions that, that come to my mind. Okay, the first one is where did the fire come from? Because as we read it, he talks about, you know, keep the fire going. It shall not go out, keep it going, but it's already there. The fire's already started. There's no instructions on how to light the fire. And if you read through Exodus and Leviticus, you will see that there are instructions for literally everything else. And if you don't think that God cares about the little things, don't, he doesn't care about the details, I would encourage you, read through Exodus and Leviticus. But there's no instructions for how to light the fire. And that's because God never asked us to set the fire. That's because we can't. 
we are not able to set the fire. If you've, you know, maybe some of y'all were Boy Scouts. I was not a Boy Scout growing up. Um, They always had their interest meetings on Wednesday nights, and we had church on Wednesday nights, so that was just a no-go, just from the jump at our house. So there's probably fire-starting badges, I assume, but if you've never learned how to do that, it can be difficult. It's not as simple as the cartoons make it look. Um, At our old house, Reagan and I had a a real wood-burning fireplace that I loved, and one morning I was already here at work, and Reagan said, hey, I'm going to I think I'm going to light a fire today in the fireplace. And I said, okay. Um, I went home for lunch just to see this fire. I opened the door to my house, and my house looked like what I can only imagine Snoop Dogg's house probably looks like. Smoke everywhere. I had to crawl to the living room, to the fireplace. Thankfully, there was no fire. Uh, my house was not burning down, but... I mean, there was, there was smoke everywhere. She said, yeah, it didn't work. I said, yeah, I see, I see that. And from that moment on, she was relieved of her fire-starting responsibilities. But it can be, it can be difficult. It's not, it's not easy to start a fire. So where, is, where does that fire come from? If you skip ahead to Leviticus chapter 9, I'm going to go to the tail end of this chapter. Moses and Aaron are bringing sacrifices to the Lord on behalf of the people. And in verse 22, it says, Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And the fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. It says the fire came out from before the Lord. The fire comes from the Lord. That is the only place that it can come from. In John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus tells us that no one can come to the Father except by him who draws him. None of us are so holy and so good and so righteous that we just woke up one morning and decided, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go you know, looking for Jesus today. That sounds like a good idea. That's not, that's not how it works. None of us are that pure and that good on our own. I think the best example that we can see in Scripture is, is that of Saul. If you know Saul's story, you know that on the road to Damascus, he was not looking for Jesus. Okay, he was looking for people who were looking for Jesus, and he did not have very good intentions. But the Lord encountered him. The Lord did an incredible work in him. And we know the rest of of Paul's story. Let me just say, this takes a ton of pressure off of us. It's, It's not our job to draw other people to Jesus. Because we can't. We are called to be obedient if the Lord chooses us to use us as vessels in that process. But it's not our job to draw people to him. Only the Lord can do that. So where does the fire come from? It comes from the Lord. The second question, the one that I really want to dive into today is, the fire's already started. How, How do we fuel that fire? How do we keep it going? And I think we do that in three different ways. 
spiritual discipline, sacrifice, and steadfastness. Sounds like a really fun message, I know. Spiritual discipline, sacrifice, and steadfastness. So I want to talk about spiritual discipline. In other words, good old-fashioned hard work. If you look back at Leviticus 6, verse 12, it says, The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it, and shall burn, it, burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. So it was the priest's job to, to arrange the wood, to, to fuel the fire, but what that meant was, if he was adding, adding wood in the mornings, at some point later in the day, he had to go out and get more wood. There's not a magical wood fairy that was bringing him firewood. So he had to go find wood. He had to cut it. He had to split it. He had to haul it back to the altar. That is not easy work. Now, I know this may come as a surprise to some of you, but I'm not what you might consider a country boy. You can't tell that from looking at me with the skinny jeans and the, you know, playing music every week. I know that's, you probably thought that I was a country boy, but I'm not. But I will say probably the, the manliest thing that I do is I actually do really enjoy cutting firewood. I've got a friend his family owns some land out in Rogersville. And I like to keep firewood on hand because I cook with it. We have fireplace, fire pit, so I like to always have firewood. And anytime I'm getting low, he says, hey, let's go get some more firewood. And maybe it just validates me as a man. I don't know. Um, but I actually really enjoy being outside, cutting the wood. But it's not easy. It's hard work. And just like every other relationship, our relationship with God requires hard work. Now, Reagan and I have been married for a little over four years now. It is my understanding that marriages aren't always butterflies and rainbows. I, I mean, that's not been my experience. Um, but I'm sure that someday, you know, it'll, it will be difficult in times. Um, but relationships take work. Marriages take work. Because if you don't feed a fire, it will die. You literally don't have to do anything to a fire to let it die. You can build a 20-foot bonfire that's massive and you can't even get near it because it's so hot. But even that, over time, if you don't continue to feed it, it will die. And if you've ever been camping or maybe you have a fireplace at home, it's easy when that fire is going and it's warm, maybe it's chilly outside and the fireplace is warm, it's easy to get real cozy, real comfortable and doze off a little bit. But what happens a few hours later in the dead of night, that fire has gone out and you wake up and you're cold. That's because if we don't work on our relationships, they will suffer. I think sometimes the mountaintop can be more dangerous than the valley. Why? Because when things are easy, we ease up. 
A.W. Tozer said that complacency is a deadly foe of all spiritual growth. Acute desire must be present or there will be no manifestation of Christ to his people. Acute desire must be present. If we get complacent, our relationships will suffer and our relationship with Jesus is no exception. So what else about spiritual discipline? I think if we turn to Romans chapter 12, Paul gives us some other spiritual disciplines for us to be practicing. Romans 12 verse 11 says, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Or the message of urgent actually says, keep yourself fueled and aflame. He says, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. So I think he's, he's laying out some very clear spiritual disciplines for us to be practicing, for us to be uh, making a part of our, our regular lives. So this first one is rejoice in hope. And let me tell you, that is a discipline. Because for some of y'all, I got one word. Attitude. Y'all ever know anybody that just ain't happy unless they're mad? Like they just look for something to be uh, annoyed by or angry about? It is easy to find something to complain about. I mean, let's be honest. All we have to do is look around. There is something that you can find to be upset about, to be annoyed about. That takes zero effort or zero discipline. But we do have a reason to rejoice and be hopeful. And it takes discipline to remember that in those moments where it's tough. In those moments where the things that we want to complain about seem to be just so overpowering. It takes discipline to remind ourselves to rejoice and hope. The second one is be patient. In tribulation, another discipline. The book of James tells us that trials will come. He doesn't say they might come. They're coming. And some of you in this room are walking through trials that I can't even begin to fathom. That's real. But some of you have quit cutting wood because it's storming. I want to tell you this morning that God can still light wet wood. In fact, he loves to. Ask Elijah. He can still light wet wood. Just because it's storming, just because things are tough. I want to encourage you this morning. Keep chopping that wood. Keep fueling that fire. The third one is be constant in prayer. Seems obvious, but how many times do we go through a day and, and maybe say a 30-second prayer over our meal and that's it? In Acts chapter 1, after Jesus has been crucified and resurrected and has ascended into heaven, the disciples had locked themselves in the upper room, and the word says they had devoted themselves to prayer. And I don't think it's any coincidence at all 
that in the very next chapter, the Holy Spirit is poured out. So be constant in prayer. Be devoted to prayer. The last one, contribute to the needs of the saints and show hospitality. Look, generosity, that, that's something that, I'll be honest, it's kind of tough for me. I'm, I am a cheapskate, I have found. My wife tells me that all the time. One of the most generous people that I know, I don't know if he's in the room, but it's Aaron Howard. If you know Aaron, he is just one of the most giving and generous people. In fact, he is the only person I know that will try to talk you up on your price for something. If he can pay you more for something, he is happy to do it. But it, it blesses people. I've seen it bless people when I've been with Aaron. That is a way that we can show the love of Christ is, is to be generous. The way that you treat people is a pretty good indicator of how on fire you are. You want to know if you're on fire? Ask your spouse. Ask your kids. Ask your coworkers. I mean, how do you feel like I treat you? I mean, if your spouse is like mine, she'll tell you. Your kids will probably tell you. The way we treat people, pretty good indicator. I'd also say that discipline is not just what you do, it's also what you don't do. I would break that into two categories, active discipline and passive discipline. What you do and what you don't do. I have recently started running, got tired of Pastor Marissa calling me fat. She is, I needed the push, I'll be honest. And she was all too happy to give that to me. That's one thing she is good for. But I've started running. And what I have found is since I have started running, it's so much easier for me to eat better. And pass up on a lot of this junk food that, that maybe I wouldn't have before. The other day I went to Slim Chicken's and ordered a salad, just a salad. If you know me, that is not me. I like meat. I have a brisket on my smoker literally right now. Why, why would I do that? Because if I'm going to be risking my life in this heat to go outside, run a mile when nothing's even chasing me, I'm not going to make it more difficult on myself than it already is. It's not worth it. And once you have experienced true intimacy with Jesus, it is so much easier to pass up on all of the other junk. It's so much easier to keep scrolling past that, that photo on Instagram that, that maybe you would have lingered on for a second too long. It's so much easier to hold your tongue in that moment when you're really frustrated with your wife. Why? Because it's not worth jeopardizing your closeness to him. Our friend R.T. Kendall talks about the Holy Spirit 
as a dove who come, will come and rest on your shoulder. But that dove is so sensitive, the slightest offense, and he's gone. And once you are walking in that intimacy, once you're experiencing that closeness to the Lord, you don't want to give that up. I promise it's not worth it. Discipline, it is a daily decision. I don't feel like running every single day. Just because I made a decision to run a few weeks ago does not mean that tomorrow morning I'm going to want to get up and run again. But it is a daily decision. I've heard it said like this, that discipline is deciding between what you want now and what you want most. Deciding between what you want now and what you want most is a daily decision. So spiritual discipline. Then the next thing is sacrifice. In the Old Testament, there were many different types of, of offerings or sacrifices that, that served different purposes. And primarily what we think of when we think of the Old Testament sacrificial system is the sin offering, right? Um, which was, the purpose of that was for atonement. So anytime you would sin in the Old Testament, you had to make a sacrifice to atone for that sin. And you had to do it every time. Why? Because the offerings, the sacrifices were imperfect. Thankfully, Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect, sinless life, and thus was able to be the perfect sacrifice. So we no longer need that sin offering every time we mess up. Praise God. But the burnt offering, which is different, that serves a different purpose and one that we still very much need today, and that is consecration. It's the Hebrew word kadash, and it means to be sanctified, prepared, dedicated, or set apart, to be made holy. And much like discipline, this is not a one-time process. Because there is always another level of consecration for us to get to. Always. There will never come a day on this side of heaven that we can't get just a little bit closer to Jesus. But it requires sacrifice. We must always keep something on the altar for him to consume. And as you read about these sacrifices, you'll see the sacrifices, they had to be dead. Because as we probably all know, green wood, wood that's, that's not been cut down for very long, still got some life in it, it doesn't burn. And I'm pretty sure if they tried to put a live animal on the altar and set it on fire, it's probably not going to stick around for very long. So both the wood and the animal had to be dead before we put it on the altar. And in the same way, we have to crucify our flesh. These things that we are putting on the altar have to be dead. We have to. That's, that's our responsibility is to crucify our flesh. 
And only then can we lay it on the altar for it to burn. We try to put something on the altar that we're still holding on to. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but there's been plenty of times over the course of my life, maybe it was at a youth camp, and the last night we're, you know, coming down the altar and laying all these things down, and I'm saying, yeah, Lord, you can have this thing. But I had my fingers crossed behind my back. I didn't really want to let go of it. It wasn't dead. We try to put something on the altar that we're still holding on to. It will never work. Crucifying our flesh is not a pleasant process, but it was never meant to be. Because it's not a sacrifice unless it costs you something. In 2 Samuel 24, David says, I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. True worship is costly. True sacrifice, it hurts sometimes. But we always have something that we can lay down. And Ideally, it's not the same thing over and over again, right? Hopefully, as we get closer and closer to the Lord, there are things that maybe we weren't even aware of in our lives. We didn't even realize that was a problem. But as we've gotten closer to Jesus, he said, no, I need that. I want that. Hey, lay this thing down. There's always, always something for us to lay down. There's always another level of consecration for us to get to. And the last thing, steadfastness. Steadfastness. I believe that God is more interested in a consistent burn than a colossal burnout. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us to run the race with endurance. It's not a sprint. It's not a, let me see how fast I can get from here to there and then I'm gonna just lay down for a little while. The goal is to hear, well done my good and faithful servant. I believe God would much rather us be faithful than flashy. I believe that being on fire for God is a whole lot less about being the loudest one in the room on a Sunday morning and a whole lot more about being on your face in your living room on a Tuesday morning. And don't get me wrong, I love worship. There is absolutely nothing wrong with being expressive in your worship. Please hear me. Just make sure that is an overflow and not the only flow. We must keep a steady flame burning so that when he breathes on it, it will erupt into flame. You may be familiar with the fire triangle. These are the three components that you need in order to have a fire. If you take any of these three things away, you no longer have a fire. The first is heat 
or a spark or that initial combustion. That's, and that's God setting the initial flame in our hearts. He does that. We have heat, then we have fuel. That's on us. We provide the wood, we provide the sacrifice. And the third thing that you need for a fire is oxygen. All throughout scripture, we see the Holy Spirit depicted as a mighty wind. In Acts chapter two, when the Holy Spirit comes, it says he came as a mighty rushing wind. And I think that that mighty rushing wind might not have caused that same eruption if those disciples had not been locked in that upper room fueling the fire. We have to keep the flame burning so that when he breathes on it, it erupts. And he's breathing more than you think. But we'll miss it if we've let our flame go out. He's breathing more than once a year at summer camp. I think he wants to breathe on your fire every morning when you open this word. He wants to breathe on that fire every time you walk through these doors and worship him with fellow believers. That spiritual hide does not have to be followed by a spiritual crash. It can be a regular reality. And just like we'll miss the voice of God if we're not listening, it's what we've been what we've been preaching on every Sunday for the last few weeks. We'll miss the voice of God if we aren't listening and we'll miss the wind of God if we aren't burning. So we have one job. God takes care of two of the three parts of that process. We just have the one. That's to fuel the fire. If we're faithful to keep fuel on the fire, he is more than faithful to take care of the rest. So if you would just bow with me this morning. There may be some of you in this room this morning who your fire is not burning because it hasn't been set yet. And maybe the Lord today is wanting to set that fire. Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life, was crucified and raised again. And he did all of that because he wants a relationship with you. He wants to set this fire in your heart and you have access to that. So I'm not gonna ask you to stand up or come forward, but this morning, if that's you and, and you feel that urge, you feel that, that burning starting to happen, would you just raise your hand? There may be others in this room who you had that fire, but, but you've let it go out. Some of you, 
you know there's things that you need to lay on the altar. It's a daily decision. Every day is a new opportunity to lay something down on the altar, to fuel that fire. So Lord, we love you this morning. God, I just pray, Lord, that you would show us, God, the things that we're holding on to, the things that we need to give to you, the things we need to lay down on the altar for you to consume. Lord, I just pray for discipline. God, to do the work that is required to fuel this fire. Lord, I pray that we would not grow complacent or comfortable. Lord, I pray that we would just be steadfast in our faith, consistent. God, we thank you that you are so consistent and so faithful. fire in our hearts that only you can set. We love you. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Hey, we're going to have our prayer team come down to the front. If you did make a decision this morning, um, please go out to our connection point and speak to somebody. Let them know so that they can get something in your hand that we can be praying for you and walking through this with you. And I'm just going to pray over you guys one more time just to bless you before you go out and have an awesome 4th of July week. Lord, we love you. God, thank you so much for these people. God, thank you for their hearts for you. Um, Lord, I pray that you would just let us bless us with an incredible week. God, keep, us, keep everyone safe. I uh, pray that everyone would have a great time enjoying family and friends and rest. And Lord, we love you. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. We'll see you all next week.